Amazing. I'm on. I think I'm on. There you go. Well, thank you so much, uh, Amanda and the team, for leading us this morning. Wasn't that just special? What a lovely privilege, opportunity we have to not only worship an almighty God, but personally meet our wonderful Savior. Isn't that such a privilege? Yeah? Oh, I'm so thankful for it. So thank you, team. Amazing. So uh, this morning, uh, I shall be sharing with you, as David said. Um, we've been doing a series recently. Does anyone know what our series is? <laughs> Living in the presence of our love of God. Amazing. So right back in the early months of, of this year, we kind of we were seeking God and and we really felt God lay kind of this series on our heart. Um, I suppose for, for this time, is kind of as a need for us to, to, to remember who we are, to be re-envisioned to our calling, to be reminded of the work he has done this morning among us. And as I was praying this morning in the prayer room before church, we were gathered together as a team and praying, and I was just, I suppose, reminded of how many incredible things God has done in this church. Just how many amazing things, how many people have had such incredible life-changing encounters in this very room, how many people have been healed, how many people have been kind of delivered, set free, restored, kind of blessed, the amount of stuff we have seen happen in this very room. And this has been happening for like 180 years, people have been worshipping in this room and I just, I think it's incredible. And so this, this really the heart of this series is for us to kind of, I suppose, be reawakened to what God is doing here and who we are. And, and if I'm honest, I've had a bit of a tricky week preparing this, this, uh, uh, this sermon. And I'm not saying that to lower the bar, don't worry. Um, but, but instead I'm saying that because I want to really welcome God's power to work through me, right? Because Paul says, when I'm weak, God is strong, right? When we, when we recognize that actually we may struggle, those are the best places for God to show up. They're often the places we pray the most. Who knew? When we pray the most, God shows up. It's funny, isn't it? So why don't don't we pray together? I'm going to pray for me. Let's do it. (laughs) Father, I thank you. You know everything. There's no surprises to you. God, you really, really care. Now, thank you, God, that (laughs) we have a faith that means we don't have to come out swinging and pretend we're super strong. Rather, we have a saviour who sympathizes with us in our weakness and lives to make intercession for us. And so I pray, Father, this morning your power would be perfected in this place to do wondrous things amongst us as your word is spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so we started uh, this sermon series with our vision statement. Who remembers our vision statement? Kind of the why, the why we exist. Who remembers it? No pressure. I preached it, so... uh, Anyone? Is is this this question and answer? Becca, I'm going to pick on you. Go for it. Yeah, living in the presence, power and love of God. Yes, you remember the second part. Transforming the world in which we live. And the second part's really important. We then looked at our mission statements. How are we going to do this? How are we going to get to where we're called to go? And we've got three, the three E's. No pressure, people. We've just done them the last three weeks. 
Chuck one at me. Embracing God's presence, perfect. Encountering God's power. And last week with David. In. Yeah, we had it over here, a couple of people. Enjoying God's love, which is such a good one. I, um, uh, I love the Westminster Catechism on this. It says, what is the chief end of man? I.e., why do we exist? And I'm sure I could get, whatever, 60, 70 different answers in this room. It says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Because when we are most satisfied in God, God is most glorified in us. Does that sound good? All right. So from this week, we're moving into our core values as a church. And these aren't as much things we do, but rather kind of they're like our DNA. They're what make us up. They're the root principles that flow through us as a church family and everything we do. And these core values directly impact the culture of the church. And uh, so my hope is the more you've been here, the more you'll kind of recognize the stuff we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. And the more you might say, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. Because this is who we are. It's like it's our DNA. So this is our first week. And I'm going to be speaking on intimate worship. Intimate worship. Thanks, Becca, for the whoop. Becca's excited. <laughs> so first, I'm going to ask a really quick question. What is worship? You have 30 seconds. Turn to your friend or your neighbor Maybe they'll become your friend. What is worship? Go for it. Yeah. My apologies if you were hoping to fall asleep. What is worship? Okay. All right. Chuck's on cat me, people. Let's have something from towards the back. Yeah, go on, Chico. What have you got? What is worship? When you're praying to God and thanking him. Yeah, yeah, massive part of worship. Well done. Anyone else? What is worship? Let's have a couple more. Oh, guys on the worship team this morning, what did you get? <laughs> yeah, lifting God up to his higher place, ascribing worth to him. Amazing. Uh, I'm not going to pick on more people. It's unfair. I will later, but just not now. So uh, I, looked, I looked at a couple of different definitions. Um, this one says, The true worship of God is essentially internal. It's a matter of the heart and spirit rooted in knowledge and obedience to God. All true worshippers must worship God in spirit and in truth. That is, true worship takes place on the inside, in the heart of the worshipper. Worship pleasing to God must be unfeigned and transparent, offered with a humble and pure heart. And if we go to, to kind of the Bible in, in, all throughout, really, this one verse keeps coming up, which is kind of the hallmark of worship. And it says this. This is from Mark, this one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. True worship is a heart, soul, mind, strength that is fully loving of God. That's what true worship is. And it's key we don't confuse worship with praise for two main reasons. Okay, Worship is not praise. They're both good, but they're not the same. Firstly, because it's perfectly legitimate to praise things other than God. I.e., if you get 10 out of 10 on your maths test at school, you may receive praise from the teacher. Well done, that was really good. Uh, you may support the best football team in the world and you want to kind of praise them. Uh, this is different to worship, I might add. 
I don't worship Arsenal Football Club, but I do praise them as my football team and support them, okay? Uh, they are the best team the world has ever seen. And I've got the microphone, so... <laughs> but secondly, it's important, because the sung praise that we enter into on a Sunday morning doesn't necessarily equate to worship. And the reason being is because you can sing all the songs and you can even do a little boogie, you can raise your hand, all these things, and actually not mean any of it. At the same time, you can sit in your pew with a heart absolutely adoring God. Absolutely just in complete just <laughs> marvel and amazement at who he is. And in that place, be full of worship. Does that make sense? So it's really important we don't connect, uh, overly connect those two as much as there is connection between them. The value is intimate worship, not fearing God from afar, but pursuing him closely and adoring him personally. At St. Matthew's, we worship God. I'm going to read this statement from our core values. Intimate worship, worshiping God with extravagance and excellence, pursuing intimacy with him. This is our core value. Worshipping God with extravagance and excellence, pursuing intimacy with him. So let me just break apart that sentence today. Uh, We worship God with extravagance. And I want to read then the story of Mary at Bethany, which I just love this story. Uh, And so I'm going to read from John chapter 12. There's a few Bible stories I want to read today. So if you've got your Bible and you want to join me, that's great, because they're not all on the screen, I'm afraid. So this is John chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to give you a minute. It's really great if you have a Bible to follow it. Because so. then you know if I'm making it up or not, which is really important. I may drop a word in just to keep you on your toes. No, I'm not. John chapter 12, verse 1. Let me go for it. Six days. Oh, it's lovely hearing those pages rustling, isn't it? Okay. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who Jesus raised from the dead. Oh, it says that. And so they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Mary, the sister, therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus takes this to another level. He says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What an act of worship, huh? What an act of worship to Jesus that Jesus then says, wherever the gospel is told in the whole entire world, even in Jersey, 2,000 years time, they're going to be talking about what this one woman did. What an act of worship. It's such a great example of like intimate adoration of Jesus. But it's not, I suppose, I love this because it's a real example of extravagant worship. Now, a first reading of this passage would point to the price of this as an example of the extravagance. But if worship's really about the heart, 
then that's not actually the case. See, the extravagance of Mary's worship wasn't anything to do with the perfume, but rather with her lack of restraint. Let me say it again. The, the price, the extravagance of her worship wasn't anything to do with how much that perfume cost, but it was to do with the lack of restraint from her heart. You know, she walks into that room, there's, there's the disciples looking on. How dare this woman walk into the room with the rabbi, with the teacher, let alone uncover her hair, let alone pour stuff on his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. She shows a complete lack of restraint on her part in order to worship him wholeheartedly. Isn't that beautiful? Let me just show you the, the, the widow in Luke 21. I'll read this one quickly. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. You see, when we look at this, another example of extravagant worship, it's not about how much money or how much they can give. It's rather the lack of restraint shown in their worship. So let me ask you a question. And again, I want you to speak to your your neighbor. What causes restraint in worship? What causes us to be restrained in our worship? What causes us to hold back? Take a second, speak to a friend, person next to you. I'll give you 30 seconds again. <laughs> what causes us to hold back in worship? Is it time? Is it because we're, we're not sure? Maybe it's because we, we don't want that person behind us to think we're funny because we jiggle a bit. What is it? What causes us to be restrained, to hold back? Maybe it's commitments we've got. And I imagine there's slightly different ones for everyone, and that's really okay. You see, when we choose to worship, to love God wholeheartedly and extravagantly, exercising no restraint of heart. Oh, by the way, I should have said it. The, the, the definition for extravagance is a lack of restraint. When we choose to worship extravagantly, exercise no restraint of our heart, i.e. giving God wholly our heart, wholly our mind, wholly our strength. We worship intimately in spirit and in truth. Just look at King David's example. Um, This is from 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to paraphrase, but keep your Bibles because we'll look at another passage in a minute. So the ark of God's presence has been returned to Jerusalem. It's a great day. It got captured and, and basically, God brought himself back. It's quite an amazing story if you want to read it in 2 Samuel uh, 5, 6. But in 2 Samuel 6, the ark of God's presence has been returned to Jerusalem after its capture. And it says this, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Who remembers me jumping up and down here a while back? Yep. Wearing a linen ephod, which I did clarify, he was not naked. Sorry to disappoint anyone. Um, he was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. 
When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each and every one of them. Who knows that cost a pretty penny, right? It's quite an expensive gift. David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and she said, David, why did you spend all our money giving them cakes and stuff and raisins? She doesn't say that, does she? Again, because his extravagance isn't to do with the cost or how much stuff he had to give. Instead, she says, how could you uncover yourself like that? How could you act so unrestrained and unashamed in front of the whole of Israel that you would dance around, O great king? See, the extravagance of his worship wasn't that he gave everyone lots of stuff. The extravagance of his worship is that he didn't hold back. He wasn't restrained. So when we talk about extravagance, it's not about the things you have. It's about just giving all of you, your whole heart, your whole being, even the things that you don't like in yourself. Who's got something in themselves that maybe they're not too big a fan of? Thanks for being brave, Jane. You're with me. Got it. (laughs) Yeah? Do you know what? God wants that too. God's not afraid that we are weaknesses or messes or failures. He says, give me your whole heart. Give me everything you have, your mind, your soul, everything. Give it all to me and watch what I can do with your life. Who knows that that's some really good news, right? Yeah? He's like, give it all to me. This is what it means to be extravagant in our worship. It's not what we have, but that we would give it all. I remember praying years ago that nothing, no tragedy or victory would ever hinder my worship from being wholehearted to God. And I remember a number of times God has since challenged me on that and said, hey, Tim, are you still being wholehearted in your worship? And I say, "Uh not really. Um, And bless him, he he has grace for me. Um, But in that, it's just like I wouldn't hide or withhold any part of me but sacrifice every part of me to him in worship, even on my weekdays or my week weeks, even this week, that we would give it all. So these choices look like something. I, 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 um, I met a guy the other day uh, where I was, um, I was at a kid's party. I was at a party with Ake, and I met one of the dads at the party. And he, we were chatting. He's like, oh, what do you do? Where do you work? And I said, oh, I work at St. Matthew's. And it turns out he actually visited us I think before my time. Um, and he tried to be really diplomatic. <laughs> Bless him. He's really nice, actually. I think, um, I think we're going to get on quite well. But he said something along the lines of, oh, uh, yeah, we did go once. Um, everyone was really excited, is the way he put it. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I could tell for him that was a, a little bit of a turn off. And I don't think he came back. Um, he, uh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't actually go to church. But he, anyway, that was his thing. And, and my response was, um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're really excited to know God. We are really excited to know God. It's just kind of who we are. And actually, as a church, we have laid down inhibitions. Amen? Whoever lays down their inhibitions on Sunday morning, yeah? We've laid down inhibitions. We've laid down comforts opportunities we've laid down positions we've laid down influence possessions dreams rights in order to give our hearts wholly to god 
and for the joy of his fellowship. And in that, we have experienced a reward far greater than anything this world can give us. This church family, if we really live out this value of intimate worship, it's going to look different. It's going to look extravagant. It might look a little bit weird for some people. But actually, guys, what we find when we wholly give of ourselves to God, where we surrender our rights to look cool, and I know we all like to look cool, but when we just surrender those rights and say, hey, God, actually, just come and take me. Come and use me for whatever you want to use me for. When we do that, we find something so much more valuable than anything we could have held on to. I feel really blessed and really honored to be counted among you excitable people. (laughs) It's a real privilege of mine. So if our extravagance is a lack of restraint, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm unrestrained in my worship. Okay, so if our extravagance is a lack of restraint, what is our excellence in our worship? So um, I'm going to read Colossians 3, 20 to 24. Why don't you read this one with me? This is a great couple of verses. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 to 24. Written to the church in Colossae. I don't know anything else much about the letter. Written by Paul um, to a church. (laughs) Colossians chapter 3, 20 to 24. Um, this first part of the verse is really great. I can imagine myself quoting it to my son one day. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then I'll just skip verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. <laughs> Slaves, in, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, this is, the, this is the number of it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. As a son, you are serving the Lord Christ. As a father, you are serving the Lord Christ. As as a worker, you are serving the Lord Christ. In everything you do, do it as though unto the Lord. Do it with, with the very best of you. And these verses describe a life of excellence, you know, whether at home or at work, working heartily unto God. And I've talked many times to us as a church, something I, I really believe, that we are called to be excellent people as God works in our lives. Not that we're all excellent at everything. Don't take that as an invitation to go and sign up for the 100-meter sprint or something like that because I'm not saying you're going to be excellent at everything. I'm going to say you're going to be excellent at being Mick. Mick is going to be excellent at being Mick. What a Mick. (laughs) We're excellent because God is working in us and moving in us. You know, um, King David is obviously an example of such excellence, isn't he? Think of King David. When he was a shepherd, was he a good shepherd? Yeah, Jackie's giving me the nod. Yeah, he was. He killed a lion, Jackie. He was good. When he was a musician, was he any good? Yeah, amazing. They were like, get him in front of King Saul. King Saul's got issues. Let's get David in there because he's great. 
as a warrior king, he's, he's unmatched, right? He, ne- he never loses a battle. Well, he does. But anyway, David was excellent at being David. But what happened when instead of being the warrior king, he wanted to be the stay-at-home king? Not good, right? What would have happened if he decided to build the temple himself and ignore God? Not good. I'm just supposing that wouldn't have been good. You see, it's not that we're all meant to be excellent at everything, but that David was the most excellent David. I am called to be the most excellent Tim, make the most excellent Mick. And, and this morning, I really want to encourage you that excellence is something that happens in us when we are just being who God's called us to be. Not trying to be excellent, trying to be something, but rather when we just allow God to breathe on us to be just the best us we can be. I really want to encourage you, if, if you, this morning, are saying, well, Tim, I didn't feel excellent and my life doesn't feel excellent. I want to encourage you that there's lots of days when my life doesn't feel excellent too, and I didn't feel excellent too. <laughs> what I would encourage you to do is go and find a friend and pray about it. You know, speak to someone and ask them to speak into your life, like someone in your life group. Pray, ask God the questions. God, am I doing what I'm meant to be doing? Am I where I'm meant to be? Am I with who I'm meant to be with? Those types of questions really help us sift through God's will in our lives to know what he's calling us to. Can I tell you a story uh, this morning about the world's worst recruitment agent? You ready? Okay. You don't seem too excited about it. I'm very excited about it. It's me! <laughs> I worked in recruitment for a grand total of six months in London, and uh, it turns out I wasn't the best fit for, for the job or for the culture of the company. I don't want to beat down on any recruitment agents. Um, God bless you. Um, but you see, they wanted a team of people who were really good at um, making a quick buck, kind of getting someone, kind of jam them into that hole or to that job or whatever it is, and then we kind of get the commission and we move on. Um, and it just wasn't me. Um, and to be honest, it's not just not really my skill set. Uh, and I would say I was far from excellent uh, in that role. And um, and it was the type of company where if you're not doing well, they tell you quite consistently who's ever worked in a company like that. Not the nicest culture. Um, so anyway, I was not doing well. Um, and so I quite quickly felt kind of that encouragement that it was time to move on. Um, I had a lot of peace in that. So I kind of looked for jobs. And then I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm, I'm going to be leaving. And they, so they called me in for a review. And... Uh, and I was ready, you know, I was easily the worst performing kind of employee doing my job, uh, my role in the company. Uh, and I expected like a handshake and a goodbye, thanks for, thanks for being with us. And much to my surprise, I was offered a pay rise <laughs> to stay at <in> the company. <laughs> and it turns out that whilst I wasn't much good at my job, they quite liked having me around, um, probably for the office jokes. Anyway, um, <laughs> Thankfully, I had the sense to turn them down and, you know, politely suggest they find someone who actually wants to do the job. Um, But it just made me laugh because actually I just so wasn't excellent But because it just wasn't the role for me. It wasn't the place I was meant to be. But actually, there was still an excellence that God was building in my character, even though I wasn't seeing it in my vocation. And I really want to encourage you, you know, you may be hearing me talk about excellence and suddenly like putting up, oh, maybe I should be this or that. Just, I don't want any of that. 
It's about God building excellence inside of you. And sometimes that means you're going to look really excellent in your job role. Sometimes it means you need to move job role to find a job where you are. You come alive. But God builds excellence in us, but from within first, from our character. Sometimes it's really visible and sometimes not so much in our role. And for Paul, his excellence landed him in prison. So just watch out. Um, For Joseph, his excellence meant he became the prime minister of Egypt. For Lydia of Philippi, her excellence meant she funded the world-changing journeys of Paul to go and plant more churches. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you're wondering, hey, where do I fit into the story of of God doing excellent things with people? Then I really want to encourage you, do seek God on that. Speak to your life group, the people who know you and around you. And, And if you need, if you want to just... Find a space to really hear God's voice for you. Then I want to encourage you. We have a prophetic ministry every third, second, first, fourth Sunday. Fourth Sunday. (laughs) Which is next Sunday. Which is next Sunday before the church service. If you want to just spend some time and just really hear what God is saying to you, you can book a slot with the team uh, and they'll be waiting for you next Sunday morning before the service. If you want to know how to do that, you can speak to the Connect team at the back and they can help you sign up. All right. So if this year has taught me anything, it's that the life we currently live on earth is temporal, it's fleeting, and it's not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. But this life is still of great value to God. And if I'm honest with you, I really want to make a difference with the days that God has given me. Amen? Like I really want my life to count something for him and for his glory And friends, we really have an invitation to have an impact on people's lives that reaches beyond us and our time, but reaches into eternity. You know, to see people saved, to hear the gospel, and to join us in that heavenly kingdom. And I suppose a question I want to ask today in all of this is, what is your legacy? What will be your legacy? I don't mean from like an earthly perspective, i.e. kind of what inheritance you leave into your children. But rather, what impact will you leave behind and what mark will you have made for God and his kingdom? Let me read from Matthew 5. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I know many people would hear these verses and and think excellence is akin to perfection. But I really want to encourage you. The gospel is not about our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And the excellence required is not ours, but his. It's his power at work through us. It's him shaping us, defining us, showing us our identity. So the gospel isn't that we all become superhumans, you know, super Tim, super Mick. The gospel is that we all become supernatural as God lives through us, as we become vessels for his light to shine and his presence to be manifest, his power to impact. And let me just take us back to Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And that word heartily is the same word used in our definition of worship in Mark 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
And see, it's not a description of the, the quantity of our effort, but rather the, the depth to which we commit to our work. This is what excellence is. The depth right down to our souls. So our excellence before God and before man is not about perfection. Tell your neighbor it's okay not to be perfect. Please do. Don't say you're not perfect. That'd be rude. Just it's okay not to be perfect. Our excellence before God is not about perfection. It's about passion. Our desire to give every bit of us, heart, mind, soul, strength, all of it to him for his service. I listen to a podcast on leadership most weeks. It's a really great podcast by a guy called Craig Rochelle. Uh, And he's got this line he says at the end, which I think is really cool. Um, He says this. He says, be yourself. People would rather follow a leader who is always real than one who is always right. To put it in our context, excellence in a life of worship doesn't mean we're always right and perfect, but rather we're always real and wholehearted in our worship. Because self-righteousness is the antithesis of the gospel. But vulnerable communion is the birthing ground of God's power in our lives. As we become vulnerable and press in to be intimate with him, his power is birthed in our lives. So we have extravagance, which is like your, your lack of restraint and excellence, which is your wholehearted passion for God through which his power works. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking they all sound quite similar. But they're, they're both byproducts of a heart truly dedicated to worship. And so this morning, if, if we're talking about being extravagant and excellent in our worship, I just want to focus in on the Psalm 84. And if, if it's okay, I want to read this to yourselves. And I just want you to just hear what David's saying. What's really in his heart in this. Um, so... Uh, Lawrence, we'll put it up on the screen. If you prefer to look, please do look. But I just really want you to let this sink in. And I'm going to ask you the question at the end. What is David's biggest desire, okay? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you.
when we read that, kind of what do we see as his biggest desire? What's the thing he asked for in this, like throughout this whole passage? It's to be with God. To find his home with him, for, for God to, to, to be David's dwelling place. That he would rather be in his courts, in his halls, than anywhere else. He says in Psalm 27, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. You see, extravagance and excellence that I've talked about today, they're not ends of themselves, but rather they are unto God. They are for the purpose of greater intimacy with him, and as that intimacy grows, so do they. And David was a man of such greatness, such, such extravagance, such excellence, and yet his one desire was to be intimate with God, to worship him, to know him, and to dwell with him. I want to pray for us together, and we're just going to respond today with a, with a song at the end. So I'll get, ask the band to come up. Why don't we stand and pray together? I'm just going to pray for us as a church, and, and I really want to encourage you, if, if you, as a member of this church, as part of this family, if you want to receive this for yourself, pray this for yourself, then agree with me. Father, I pray for us as a church. Lord, that we would really embody this value which you have placed on our hearts. Lord, that we will love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our minds, and with all our strength. God, we pray, we, we may not be the most affluent, but Father, I pray that we are so unrestrained in our extravagance of worship to you. And God, we know we're not perfect, yet we are made excellent in our weakness as your power works through us. In all these things, Father, I pray for us as a church that we would not only know the call to pursue intimacy with you, but God, it would be such a passion in our hearts to know you more. Such a desire in our hearts to know you more, Lord. Why don't you just, just repeat that if that's your prayer. Just something along those lines, God, I want to know you more. I want to pursue you, Lord. Not because you're running from me, because you have amazing things for me to take a hold of. Lord, I pray that extravagance and excellence will be hallmarks in this house, not for our glory, Lord, but for yours. That in all things, you would have preeminence, Lord. You would be in the first place. Father, we give you the glory.